The topic for, well, the title for today's talk is Four Faithful Friends, uh, The Sin of the Paralytic and the Good News of Jesus. Uh, and this has become, I think, one of my favorite stories uh, just by studying it. Um, certainly one of my favorite stories from the Gospel of Mark. And I think there's some really valuable insights in this story that will challenge us as a faith community and hopefully will inspire us as well. I believe the Point Church is in a really exciting time. I think we're in a moment of spiritual formation, and um, I'm really excited to be uh, part of this faith community. And some of us, I think, will be rediscovering our first love, uh, while others of us, I hope and pray, will be discovering the love of Jesus for the very first time. And I think there's a lot to celebrate for that reason. Now, our text today comes from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through to 12. And probably the best way for us to start out is just to read the text together. So if you've got your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to read along. Mark 2, starting in verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Okay. Now, as we uh, spend some time in this text this morning, there are three main takeaways that I want to focus on. Uh, The first is the context of Jesus's preaching. Uh, The second, I want to learn more about the faith of these four friends. And the third has to do with the authority um, of Jesus, the authority to forgive sins. All right, these these are the main three takeaways that we're going to focus on. All right, let's set the scene. Let's establish it a little bit more. Jesus is entering Capernaum again after spending some time away sharing the word, as Mark tells us, at other villages in Galilee. Clearly, Jesus has stirred up a lot of excitement in Capernaum and news about his teaching and miracles 
has spread quickly. Someone leaked some information that Jesus has returned home after traveling. And it's not long before a large crowd starts gathering outside the house where Jesus is staying. Now, we don't know if this is Jesus's house or uh, it's somebody else's house. Maybe it's Simon and Andrew's uh, mother-in-law. We don't know. But it's where Jesus is staying um, when he enters Capernaum again. Now, these houses, uh, they're between maybe one room and four rooms. And that was pretty typical um, uh, for these types of houses in the area. And most of these houses, along with having a room or two, uh, would also have an adjacent courtyard. And that's where a lot of the family's activity throughout the day um, would take would take place. Now, Jesus, at this point, he's something of a rock star, right? Because when people hear that he's back in town, they just start arriving at his house and just like hanging outside the front door. And it tells us that there's so many people in in this house um, that it's totally filled up and people have sort of bled out onto the courtyard and the outside area. And they're all just crammed in this really tight space and they're listening to Jesus teaching the word. Now, some of these people, uh, well, all of them, I'm sure, would have heard and seen some of the many miraculous signs um, that Jesus performed of casting out demons, um, of healing people. Many of them would have heard some of his teaching, um, which was amazing to them because he was one who was speaking with authority. Now, Mark doesn't tell us exactly what Jesus is talking about, except that he's preaching the word. But I think that the context of the previous chapter that we get and the context in which Mark writes really helps us understand, well, what is it that Jesus was preaching? What was his message? Now, the Gospel of Mark emphasizes that Jesus was mighty in both word and deed. Jesus taught with authority. If you look at the previous chapter, it tells us there in uh, verse 22 that Jesus taught with authority, which was different from the other teachers around him. The other teachers of the law, they I mean, if you've ever had to write like an academic essay before, you know that you can't just say whatever you want to say. You've got to find references. You've got to find other smart people, other experts to back up what you're saying. But Jesus didn't do this. He used himself as his own primary reference. Jesus referenced himself. So the way he spoke was very different um, than other teachers. His message, the word that Jesus had to share, is outlined in Mark 1.15. It says this, the time has come. And the time that, that Mark is talking about is the appointed time where God will fulfill his promises. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is Jesus's message to the people as he's traveling around Galilee. Isaiah 52 is a beautiful piece of prophetic poetry that speaks of a messenger who brings good news to God's people. How beautiful 
are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Now, Jesus is positioned in Mark as this messenger. This messenger from from Isaiah's prophecy, who brings good news to God's people. God is here among his people to establish his kingdom. Jesus, who acts as a messenger, calls all people to repentance and to believe this good news. Now, as Jesus is preaching to this uh, captivated crowd, this large crowd, this crowd that's uncomfortable, but they don't care because they just want to see and hear Jesus. Mark draws our attention away from Jesus's sermon to a scene involving four friends carrying a paralytic man. This man, he can't walk. So his four friends are carrying him on a mat. There might be some some ropes tying him to the mat with maybe some poles just to keep the mat rigid enough so that the friends can can carry him on it, much like a stretcher. Um, Now, these four friends, they have one objective in mind. Get their paralyzed friend to Jesus. That's all that's on their mind. They see that Jesus is powerful in both word and deed, as Mark shows us. They know that through Jesus, their friend had another shot, has another shot at life. These four friends are trying to get through the crowd because they've got to get to the front door, right? Because that's where Jesus is. But the crowd's not budging. They're not letting them in. Um, Nobody wants to give up their spot or maybe their view of Jesus. I imagine, you know, maybe they started out asking politely, sort of whispering to the crowd, but nobody was having a bar of it. So maybe they tried, you know, pushing their way in a bit, but people got annoyed with them. And the friends are like, what are we going to do? We can't get to the front door. We can't get to Jesus. And one of them says, I've got an idea. Let's climb on the roof. And the third friend, he's like, well, why would we do that? What what good is that going to do us? How are we going to get to Jesus? And they go, well, I don't know, but we've got to try something. Let's give it a go. So they walk with their, para, their paralyzed, um, paralytic friend up around to the side of the house. And two of them climb up onto the roof. Um, uh, the, the other two, they pass up the stretcher, the mat, up to the other two. And they, they bring their paralytic friend and they place him on the ceiling, on, on the roof of the, the house. And they're up there and they can hear Jesus down below, down below uh, the roof. Because the roof's just made of like twigs, um, sticks and and, and sod. Um, So they can hear what's going on down below them. And one of them, he just, he kneels down and he grabs two handfuls of these twigs and uh, mud and sod and whatever else the roof is made out of. And he just starts pulling it away. He starts breaking these branches. And the other friends, they get involved and they start breaking away these branches as well. Um, 
pulling apart the branches from, from the sod, which is sort of gluing the roof together. Now, all the while, Jesus, he's, he's inside the house. And if you've ever tried preaching with a distraction, it, it's not super easy. And for Jesus, you know, everybody can hear what's going on above them and, you know, mud and dust and twigs are all falling down on Jesus' head. And I wonder how long Jesus tried to persevere with his message before he just gave up and everyone's looking up at this activity going on above them. And these friends, they're pulling away the branches and eventually um, Jesus can see up through this hole that they've made in the ceiling to these four friends. And I can only imagine what the owner of the house is thinking. They're probably uh, yelling at these guys, telling them to, like, you know, get off. Oh, you hooligans. Um, but Jesus doesn't react that way. Jesus doesn't see uh, their vandalism necessarily. He just sees their faith. That's what Jesus um, is amazed by, their faith. Now, eventually this hole it gets big enough and the friends, they start lowering um, the paralytic man on the mat down through this hole presumably by by some ropes that they might have had with them. And um, you can imagine what's going through this paralytic man's mind. Uh, what's going on? What are you doing with me? Don't drop me. Uh, this is crazy. But as he looks into the eyes of his friends, he, see, he also sees their faith and their confidence that something amazing is about to happen. And that starts to rub off on him. And as he's being lowered, you know, Jesus, maybe he reaches out his hand to, to steady the man as he's lowered to the ground. And the, paraly- the paralytic man's eyes, they move from looking at uh, his friends to looking at the, the eyes of Jesus. Now, as far as we know, uh, the man and the friends, they don't say anything. They don't say anything, as Mark records at least. As far as they're concerned, those friends, they've completed their mission. They've done what they've set out to do, and that's to get their friend to Jesus. What can we learn about the faith of these four friends? Well, one, their faith was, was motivated. <laughs> their faith was really motivated. They had a desperation to see their friend um, saved from his condition. Their faith was creative. It was endlessly creative. Um, The front door wasn't an option, so they had to find another way. And they did, even if it meant taking the roof off. And their faith was disruptive. Jesus was in the middle of preaching a sermon. All these people were listening to what he was saying. Um, Important people were listening to what he was saying. But that didn't stop these guys. Um, They were prepared to disrupt what was going on uh, just to get their friend in front of Jesus. Now, the priority of Jesus in all this is not to impress the teachers of the law or to seek the approval of onlookers. And our evangelism if we're doing it right, is always going to be disruptive like this. It's always going to be disruptive to culture. It's going to be disruptive to traditions. It's going to be disruptive to people's individual lives. 
And if we try to make our evangelism less disruptive by limiting God's work to what is socially acceptable, we're going to build extra extra barriers to people's salvation. And their faith was honored by Jesus. And that's important to remember. We witness this faith and we go, well, that's that, that's crazy. That's a strange thing to do. But but Jesus looks at that. He sees that and he honors it. The needs of the paralytic man are obvious to everyone. He cannot walk. So what does what Jesus does next is unexpected. <laughs> he forgives the man's sins. That's surprising to me. Because we expect Jesus to say, get up, take up your mat and walk. We expect that to be the first thing that he says. Has Jesus missed the point for why the four friends went to the trouble of tearing a hole in the roof uh, to, to bring their friend to Jesus? Not at all. Jesus hasn't missed the point. Jesus knows perfectly well what they expect from him. But by forgiving the man's sins, he's saying, If you think your biggest problem is your physical disability, then you've got it all wrong. Your biggest problem is your sin. Jesus' message, as recorded by Mark, includes the need to repent of sin. In the text, we have no clear indication that the paralytic man expressed any form of repentance before Jesus. But isn't it likely that in the presence of Jesus, this man was no longer thinking about his physical disability? Perhaps in his heart, he was convicted of a deeper problem. Think about the biggest problem in your life right now. And if Jesus appeared in the room, or maybe for us in the Zoom chat, and he was staring straight at you, would your mind continue to dwell on your same problems, the same ones that you've been dwelling on throughout the week? I don't think so. What is temporary would be moved, would move to the periphery of your mind, while Your eternal needs, my eternal needs, would become as clear as day. I'd be on my face begging Jesus to extend his grace to me in my spiritual bankruptcy. I would realize how hopeless I am in that moment without Jesus. He says, son, which is an affectionate term, son, your sins are forgiven. The teachers of the law who are present are scandalized by Jesus' proclamation. They think to themselves, who does this guy think he is? Only God can forgive sins. And the punishment for this type of sin, for this type of blasphemy, is death. Jesus hears their thoughts as clearly as if they had spoken them out loud. And he says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk. But I want you to know the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. 
Jesus asks the question, which is easier? To forgive sins or to tell the paralytic to stand up, stand up and walk? Which one do you think is easier? The power to forgive sins and the power to heal, heal a paralytic are both only possible by God's power and authority. That's what Jesus wants us to realize. The power to forgive sins and the power to heal are both only possible by God's power and authority. Jesus first chooses to address the paralytic's spiritual needs, but as a sign that Jesus has the power and authority to forgive sins, he also addresses the paralytic's physical need to be healed. The scribes in this story have the misunderstanding that it is easier to forgive sins than to heal because one of these miracles can be verified in the flesh while the other cannot. If a man who's a paralytic who cannot walk is miraculously healed, that's verified in the flesh. You can see that. That's something that you can see. But the forgiveness of sins is a spiritual issue. And because of that, because the scribes, because these teachers of the law only see what they can see in the flesh, they have this misunderstanding that it's easier to say your sins are forgiven than it is to say stand up and walk. Many people, today especially, misunderstand the gospel by thinking Jesus died for our physical needs. That message diminishes the gospel, absolutely diminishes it. Jesus died to save us from sin. We need a bit of a reality check. Maybe some of us, uh, like myself at times, you know, we had a good Bible education. We grew up in uh, a country that afforded, that, that affords all sorts of opportunities. We've believed all the right things. We've made all the right commitments. We've observed all the right practices. Always shared in the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. But day to day, we don't depend on God for anything. Because we have our lives together just as we believe that they're supposed to be. If this is you, if this is us, we don't know the gospel. Or at least we've forgotten it somewhere along the way. If you think Jesus' ability to heal a paralytic is more impressive than his ability to forgive sins, you have been, you've never really been confronted uh, with the reality of how sinful you actually are. 
Do you turn to Jesus as the one who can save you from your sins? Or are you too busy trying to save yourself by being a good person? By doing all the right things? By being a good Christian? There is nothing that you do that saves you. Only Jesus, the Son of Man, has the authority to forgive sins on earth. You don't have the authority to forgive your own sins. You don't have the authority to do anything that can give you access to the kingdom of God. Now, we might understand these things intellectually. That Jesus has forgiven us of our sins. But in our hearts, we depend on ourselves We depend on ourselves to earn the right to get into heaven. We cannot earn our way into heaven, just as we cannot tell a paralyzed man to stand up and walk. This power and authority is given to Jesus alone. Do we truly understand the severity of our sin? Or do we still think we can save ourselves? I love this Quote from Tim Keller, if you understand how sinful you actually are, you would probably die. We we tell ourselves these stories, we make up these narratives in our mind uh, to make ourselves, to to make us think that we're better than we actually are. But if we're really confronted with how much sin is a problem, if we really realize that, what Tim Keller reckons we'd probably die of shock. The power to forgive sins is Jesus' alone. We cannot earn our way into heaven just as we cannot tell a paralytic to stand up and walk. That power belongs to Jesus. I love this little illustration, this little poem. It's hilarious. It's called Advice by Shel Silverstein. It comes from a book that she wrote in the 90s. Uh, William Tell, William Tell, take your arrow, grip it well. There's the apple, aim for the middle. Oh, well, you just missed by a little. Uh, I I think this is a great illustration uh, for the devastation of our own sin. We might have only sinned once. We might have sinned less than our neighbor, but it's no less devastating. It's no less devastating. We've missed the mark. And uh, we don't have a hope. Uh, we don't have a hope outside of Jesus um, once we've made those, those mistakes. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not life advice. It's not advice. It is news. That's really important. This is what makes Christianity distinctive from other world religions. Here is how news is different from from advice. One, one, good news is a relief. Advice adds burdens. Good news is a relief. Advice adds burdens. Good news is shared freely. Advice is shared for profit. Anybody that's paying off their university fees knows that that is true. Good news is received with joy. 
Advice is received out of obligation. Good news is humbling. Advice puffs up pride. The gospel is not life advice, but good news. But we can be tempted to treat it like it's advice. We can be tempted to treat it like we know how to get into heaven. But when we treat it like good news, it radically changes how we think. It radically changes who we are. It's the equivalent to what Jesus talks about in John, of what it means to be born again, to be able to see the kingdom of God for the first time. In conclusion, in full view, in full view of the onlookers, Jesus says to the paralyzed, to the paralytic man, get up. Take your mat and go home. The four friends are looking down at the scene in pure delight as this man immediately picks up his mat and he charges out of the room, except this time the crowd moves out of the way. They give him the space that he needs. And the response from everyone is to praise God. They say, we have never seen anything like this. And like those four faithful friends, if we understand that Jesus is good news, we will be motivated to introduce other people to him. We will find creative ways to overcome obstacles that prevent the good news of Jesus from being shared. There are so many obstacles to the good news of Jesus being shared. But it's not enough of an excuse. We need to be creative to find another door when the front door is blocked. We must be prepared to disrupt culture, to disrupt tradition, to disrupt lives, to be offensive. This is what we have to do to bring ourselves and others to the feet of Jesus, where sins are forgiven. And transformative miracles can be expected.